0: Hey, good morning and welcome. Will you guys do me a favor? Let's let our worship team know how much we appreciate them leading this morning. Come on. Come on. You do better than that. Come on. 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 There you go. Better. Better. They do an awesome job leading us every single week, and I'm grateful for our production team and uh, everybody that's serving this morning. We got greeters. We got people serving coffee. We got people serving our kids. What a fun Sunday. We're so honored you're here. Hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Adam. one of the pastors here, and it is Easter. Now, here's the thing. We can celebrate, and we do celebrate, the resurrection every single day of the year, but once a year, we get to draw special attention to it on Easter Sunday, and I'm so glad that you are spending part of your Easter with us. Let me welcome everybody joining us online as well, and uh, I'm excited to share the message with you today. But Before we get to that, I know a lot of you on our campus for the first time today, welcome. We're honored you're here. Let me give you a little bit of a preview of uh, where we're going next Sunday. We're going to kick off a brand new series called Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' most famous sermon. It's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And this series is going to take us, believe it or not, hold your applause kids through the end of the school year. I know this year has flown by and you may have plans you've already made for next Sunday. You're like I can't be back next Sunday. We're going to be in this series for a while. So we'd love to have you join us whenever you are in town and available because not only are we going to go through this sermon, we're going to talk about how we can actually apply it into everyday situations in our life. And so I think it's going to be an encouraging series. I think it's going to be a super practical series. And like I said, I'd love for you to join us for that as we kick it off next week. But obviously for today, we we are celebrating the resurrection. We are celebrating Easter. Let me tell you what we're going to do today. Title of today's message, where we're going to go, the focus of our time together today. And the title is An Unlikely Witness. We're going to be in John chapter 20. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, go ahead. If you don't have a Bible, that is okay. We will put all the verses up here on the screen you, so let me kind of go ahead and give it away, right? The unlikely witness we're going to talk about today is Mary Magdalene. We find Mary Magdalene playing a prominent role in the resurrection account that John gives us in John chapter 20. But before we get into our passage today and start reading that, I want to take a second and I want to talk about the different Mary's In the New Testament because it can be a little confusing. I mean, even if you kind of read the Bible frequently, you're probably confused by all of the Marys. Now, if you're new to the Bible, it can be a little overwhelming. So I just want to take a second and let's make sure we all know the the Mary that we were talking about this morning because there's lots of different Marys that we should know. So here's the first one, probably the most famous one, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Bethlehem, donkey, Joseph, I hope that rings a bell. Okay, that's who we're talking about there. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, the most famous Mary, but there's several other Marys in the New Testament. The second Mary, and this is where it gets a little interesting, is Mary, the mother of Jesus's sister, who, by the way, also happens to be named Mary. Now, thankfully, in Scripture, we get this clarifier. She's the wife of Clopas. Some translations say Cleopas. Same guy. She didn't have two husbands. The Greek can get a little wonky sometimes. That's neither here nor there. The point is that Mary's parents were not very creative with their naming. Okay? They had two daughters. And what names should we come up with? Let's name them both Mary. That's what they did. It's kind of like George Foreman. He has six sons. They're all named George. It's fantastic. I love that, alright? So I don't suggest it, but I still think it's kind of fun. So anyway, Mary, mother of Jesus, has a sister who's also named Mary. Now, she doesn't pop up a lot, but when she does in the New Testament, you kind of need to know that. The third Mary is Mary of Bethany. Now, her sister is Martha. She has a brother named Lazarus. You'll sometimes hear them mentioned as Mary and Martha. Last Sunday, we actually talked about them. So, if you weren't here last week, John chapter 11, John chapter 12, we talked about Palm Sunday. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus play a prominent role in that account. So, if you missed that message, you want to go back and watch it. It's posted on our website, vaughnforest.com. All right. so you got Mary, mother of Jesus who also has a sister, who's also named Mary. And then you have Mary of Bethany, sister of Martha, sister of Lazarus. And then we have the Mary we're gonna talk about today. Mary Magdalene. Now, she was from Magdala, which is where she got this name, this clarifier that scripture gives us so we can see who she is, and that's located on the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. So before we talk about Mary Magdalene and the role she plays in the resurrection, and how we're gonna kinda look at the resurrection account through her eyes today, let's talk for a second about hers, kinda make sure we're all on the same page with Mary Magdalene. So what do we know about Mary Magdalene? Well, first thing we know is that there's no biblical evidence that she was a prostitute. Now I need to mention this because throughout church history, that's been a little bit of a misunderstanding that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. There's actually no biblical evidence for that, but let me tell you how that got started. Way back in the sixth century, Gregory, he was the pope at that time, he issued this paper kind of slash sermon where he said that there's a woman in Luke chapter 7. Let me give you the 60-second summary here. In Luke chapter 7, there's a woman who shows up, and she anoints Jesus' feet with oil. Now, there's some Pharisees that are watching all this go down. They were the religious leaders, the guys that Jesus was kind of constantly arguing with. And they basically said, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, which she's a prostitute, he would not be letting her do this. And I've often wondered, how did you guys know what kind of woman she was? That's neither here nor there, but it's in the Bible, okay? So what happened back in the 6th century is that Pope Gregory said, The lady in Luke chapter seven is actually Mary Magdalene. Now there's no biblical evidence for this, but that kind of, it it took root. And so for centuries, people kind of associated her with this. And then in 1969, the Catholic church actually issued a decree and said, there's no biblical evidence to support that and actually granted Mary Magdalene sainthood. Okay, so we've cleared all of that up. And so if you came in here thinking, I think I've heard of her before, okay, not the same Mary, okay? So there's no biblical evidence for that. Second thing we know about Mary Magdalene, and this is interesting, We're going to talk about this today. She was possessed by seven demons, and Jesus cast them out. This happens in two different gospel accounts that we see that Jesus did this. Now, after that happened, this would make sense, she becomes a follower of Jesus. Now, here's what's really interesting about becoming a follower of Jesus. She's then mentioned in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, we need to pay attention to this. There aren't many people. Mentioned in all four gospel accounts. And yet, Mary Magdalene is mentioned in all four gospel accounts. And then finally, the reason why we're talking about her today, she plays a prominent role in the events of the resurrection. So what I want to do is I want to take you to John chapter 20, and I'm going to read John chapter 20, I believe it's verses 1 through 18, to give you the entire account of Resurrection Sunday when Jesus walked out of the tomb. So it's a long passage, right? So hang with me. I'm going to read through it. We're going to talk about a few things here and there, and then we're going to jump into our notes. Here we go. John chapter 20, prominent role, Mary Magdalene, Resurrection Sunday. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. So let's just pause here for a second. The Bible can be confusing sometimes. We talked about all the different Marys. Now let's talk about the different Johns, okay? So if you're reading the Gospel of John and you see the name John, it's not John who wrote the Gospel of John. I know. Hang with me. When you see the name John in the Gospel of John, it's talking about John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. He was a little different. He wore camel hair. He ate locust and honey and hung out in the woods. You would not want your kids hanging out with John the Baptist, okay? But Jesus said of John the Baptist, he's the godliest man that ever lived. John the Baptist was incredible. He baptizes Jesus and John, the author of the gospel, talks a lot about him early in the gospel before he is killed. So name of John and John's gospel, everybody tracking with me, John the Baptist. When John, the author of the gospel of John, talks about himself, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is a little cocky, right? Right? also what you can do if you write one of the Gospels, right? So that's what he's doing, okay? So when you see that, know he's talking about himself. All right, we're all on the same page. So Mary Magdalene ran, ran. she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, John, and she said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple, again, John, Peter and the other disciple, John, started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, dudes are going to be dudes. I mean, isn't this fantastic? Like John just wants you to know for all of human history, I beat Peter in a race. Isn't that great? That's just like a guy. I mean, the most important event in all of human history, and he wants to point out the detail that he's faster than his buddy Peter. I just think that's awesome, right? If you don't think the Bible's true, I got nothing left for you, right? He put in there that he's faster, okay? So out ran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. So to give John some credit, he does at least point out that Peter's got a little bit more courage than him. Peter goes inside first. He also noticed the linen linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary, now again, this is Mary Magdalene. Again, we don't see Magdalene here, so this is why sometimes it can be confusing. Mary Magdalene was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Now, this is kind of an interesting little throwaway fact in the account, but I think it's fascinating. And I think it's a theologically packed statement. So what we're gonna do this week on our podcast is talk about that. So again, if you're new to Vaughn Forest, uh, we have a little podcast called The Other Six. Me, our worship pastor, Matt, who's out here leading us in worship, Chad, who was out here earlier talking about the generosity and and the giving of folks here at Vaughn Forest. We sit down and we record this on Mondays and it's released on Tuesday mornings. And our goal is to give you spiritual growth tools the other six days of the week. And one of the things we're gonna talk about this week is why this statement, why did she think it was a gardener why do I share the opinion that it has something to do with the original garden in the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve and what's actually happening there? I don't have enough time to talk about the message, but we're gonna have some fun talking about it on the podcast this week. So she thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. Now the moment Jesus says her name, she recognizes who he is. So she turned to him and cried out, Raboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. What an incredible account of that first resurrection. Sunday. So what I want to do and what I want to spend the rest of our time doing is answering a really important question from this gospel account. And here's the question. What does Mary Magdalene's unlikely witness reveal to us ultimately about Jesus? See, I like looking at the resurrection story through the lens of Mary Magdalene, but Mary Magdalene is not the hero of the story. She's the character in the story. And anytime you're reading God's Word and you notice there are some characters in this story, take note. So with Easter, Resurrection Sunday, we've got Peter, we've got John, faster, we've got Thomas, who doubts. Obviously, there's Judas and the things that happened a few days before, and we have Mary Magdalene. And ultimately, these characters that are in the story, we can learn some things from their lives, and we should, but the biggest reason they're in the story is to reveal to us something about our savior, the true hero of the story, through what he accomplished on Resurrection Sunday. So there's some message notes inside your bulletin. If you're here on our campus, let me ask you to find this. Go ahead and pull those out. If you're joining us online, you can access them right here at vaughnforest.com. Again, if you're new, we take notes because it helps us remember, which then helps us be more likely to put it into practice. See, we don't think we're just supposed to learn information about the Easter story. We think that when we read God's word, it's for our transformation as we put it into practice through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what I wanna do is I wanna share with you five truths that Mary Magdalene's unlikely witness revealed to us ultimately about our savior, Jesus Christ. So here's the first truth if you're taking notes today that you can jot down. Every unlikely witness was once in a hopeless situation. Every unlikely witness was once In a hopeless situation. Now, what was Mary Magdalene's hopeless situation? She was possessed by seven demons. I mean, that's about as hopeless as it gets. There's not a lot you can do, abandoned by family, abandoned by friends. And yet, Jesus meets her in her hopeless situation. And here's the thing about those of us who are followers of Jesus: like, if you've confessed Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, you've been born again. You're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. You're a believer. There's a number of different terms we use to describe that. At the end of the day, we are all unlikely witnesses. And at the end of the day, we too were in a hopeless situation. Now, our hopeless situation wasn't being possessed by seven demons. Our hopeless situation was having a sin nature we couldn't escape, being enslaved to our sin, found in a hopeless situation. Situation, And sometimes those of us maybe who have walked with Jesus for a little while, we just need to be reminded of that. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can get a little bit of a big head. We can kind of start to think that this whole walking with Jesus thing has a lot more to do with us than it really does. We too were in a hopeless situation. Jesus met us in our hopeless situation, and he's taken all of us. And if there's anything about our life that's a witness to him, we too are unlikely witnesses. Here's the second truth that Mary Magdalene unlikely witness reveals to us about Jesus. It's what Jesus did, not what we do, that rescues us from our hopeless situation. There's nothing Mary Magdalene could do to free herself from being possessed by seven demons. And there's nothing that you and I could do to get ourselves out of the mess called sin. So what did God do? He came after you. God was never gonna let your sin get in the way of having a relationship with you. But you see, God can't have anything to do with sin. Therefore, a great dilemma. How does God solve this dilemma? Well, he comes after us by becoming one of us. We celebrate this at Christmas, the incarnation. God sends Jesus to earth born of the virgin as his son. Now, what does Jesus do? He's faithful to complete the will of the father. He lives a perfect life. That matters. See, only Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to pay the price of sin if he's perfect, and he was. He goes to the cross in our place. But see, if we had paid the price for our sin, it wouldn't have been sufficient because we sin. You're really good at sinning. Don't deny it. Don't point either. That's rude. Okay, but we all sin. So our death for our sin would have accomplished anything but Jesus' death did. Jesus then defeats death through the resurrection and that matters because if Jesus doesn't walk out of the tomb, he's a fraud. When Jesus defeated death, it validated everything he had ever said about himself. And the only person who can offer you eternal life is the person who has defeated death. His name is Jesus. No other founder of any world religion can, can make that claim. No person of any other belief system can make that claim. But see, Jesus, fully confident in who he was, fully secure, of being God's only son, can rightly say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you want to get to the Father, you can't get to the Father any other way but through me. Now, why can Jesus say that? Because he walked out of the tomb. He offers you eternal life. It's not about what we have to do to get to God because of our sin. It's because of what God did and Jesus' faithfulness to see it through. But see, here's the thing for you. You've got to come to a place in your life where you choose to accept that. It's not enough to have working knowledge of what I'm talking about. Each person has to recognize his or her own need for a savior, what God did, what Jesus did, and then receive that free gift of salvation. It, it can't be because your parents did it or your grandparents did it or anybody else did it. or You're raised in a Christian home or any of the other things that we like to say. It comes down to a decision you have to make to choose whether or not you will receive this free gift of salvation. But the good news is it's already been accomplished. It's about what Jesus did, not what we have to do. Here's the third truth that Mary Magdalene's unlikely witness reveals to us about Jesus. Sometimes being a witness for Jesus means you will follow him into his suffering. We don't like to talk about this. But Mary Magdalene's life shows us this. That when Jesus was crucified, his disciples abandoned him. And Mary Magdalene didn't. She's there that day. And here's what I need you to just see for a minute. This is hard. This is the part of the the, the Passion Week when we read it in God's Word, when we think about it. Maybe when we watch the movie, The Passion of the Christ, it's a very difficult thing to watch. But when Jesus was hanging on the cross, his body beaten beyond recognition, bloodied and bruised, and dying for the sins of the world. Don't miss this. He saw Mary Magdalene. He saw her. He saw that she was there. He saw that she had followed him into his suffering. And there's some of you here today, you're suffering. You're asking God to move on your behalf and up until this point, it hasn't happened. Your prayers aren't being answered the way that you've asked God to answer them. But here's the thing, you're still following Jesus. Some of you here today have been mistreated, you've been lied about, you've been betrayed. Some of you are in a marriage right now and your spouse isn't treating you the way he or she should be treating you. And here's the thing, you're still following Jesus. Some of you have a child that's a prodigal and he or she has wandered off to straight and narrow and you don't really know how this is gonna go, but here's the thing, you're still following Jesus. And here's what I need you to hear this morning. When you are suffering and you continue to follow Jesus, I want you to know Jesus sees you. The same way he saw Mary Magdalene that day. And that matters because so many times when we continue to take one step further when it feels like it's actually one step farther away from God, it can feel like nobody notices, nobody cares, nobody sees us. And in the midst of your circumstances and in the midst of your suffering, might it be today that Jesus is actually helping you see part of following me is sometimes following me right into the suffering. But on the other side of the suffering is a blessing. On the other side of the suffering is a resurrection. On the other side of the suffering is a new season. So if you're walking through that today, be encouraged, Jesus sees you. Here's the fourth truth we see about Jesus from Mary Magdalene's unlikely witness, number four. Sometimes Jesus gives you an assignment to go as worship when you would rather stay and worship. We see this from Mary Magdalene. When she realizes it's Jesus, She wants to stay, and who can blame her? In fact, Jesus has to tell her, hey, listen, don't cling to me right now. I actually have something for you to do. I need you to go, and and I need you to communicate what I'm about to tell you. See, Mary Magdalene wants to stay and worship Jesus, and Jesus needs to send her as her worship. He wants her to go as her worship. In church, Jesus still today calls many of us to go as worship worship. There are times where we get to come together and we get to sit at the feet of Jesus and we get to stay in worship. I hope that our worship gatherings each week are an opportunity for you to do that. There's power when we worship with God's people. See, sometimes you need to lean on the faith of a brother and sister in Christ. Sometimes you need to lean on the worship a little bit of a brother and sister in Christ. And when we come together, there's power in that and we stay and we worship, and we don't just sing a few songs until we get to the message. No, no, there's power when we worship. But church, Jesus will also say, now I need you to go as your worship. Now, why does he tell us to go as our worship? Because there are real people with real needs. There are people who need to meet Jesus, and somebody's gotta tell them. There are people who are hurting, and somebody's gotta bring healing. There are people who need food, shelter, clothing. There are tangible needs all around us, and here's the truth. Right? This should blow your mind a little bit. We are God's people on the earth right now. There's no plan B. That should freak all of us out a little bit, okay? We're it. We are the people God has on the earth right now. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus, and he sends us, and he says, go. And in the river region, there are many, many needs. And here's the good news. Jesus has a church in the river region. His church is not a building. His church is not even a particular church. See, Vaughn Forest, we're just one post in Jesus' kingdom. Think of it this way. We're one little Sunday school class in the church that Jesus has here in the river region. And as we partner together with other brothers and sisters in Christ and other churches who worship King Jesus, here's what can happen as we go. We can make a great difference in this community for the glory of God. But sometimes that means you gotta go. Get out of your comfort zone. Receive a new assignment. Jesus may stretch you he may take you somewhere you don't want to go. He may give you instructions you didn't see coming. Students, he may have you be a witness in a place that's not easy. You say, I didn't know that's what it meant to be a Christ follower. Oh, it's all over God's word. So you gotta go. Many of your military families. We're so grateful for your service. You already know your next assignment and you're preparing for that. And we're grateful for your selflessness to go to your next assignment. But don't miss what the Lord may have for you in that next assignment as you go as your worship. So don't be surprised if God gives you a new assignment, a new challenge, something you didn't see coming. Some of you think, well, I don't really worship. I have a job. I'm not a pastor or a ministry leader or a life group leader. Might I challenge you to see how you spend the majority of your time as your worship and to do everything you do as unto the Lord, as worship unto him. And then as you do that, recognize that this is a normative thing we see about being a Christ follower in the New Testament. Here's the fifth truth we see about Jesus from Mary Magdalene's unlikely witness. Jesus will not let religious traditions, societal norms, or family pedigree determine who he uses to be his witnesses. I mean, we see this with the disciples. They're a bunch of guys that nobody wanted. Their own families, you know, didn't think a whole lot of them. One of the common things you see in God's word is this principle. We talked about King David a few weeks ago. His own dad didn't really respect him. His brothers didn't respect him. God says, I see what's inside his heart. I'll choose him to be the next king. See, scripture doesn't follow traditions or societal norms or family pedigree. Jesus modeled this with his disciples and please don't miss the significance on resurrection day, of all of the people that Jesus could have chosen to be the first person to preach the good news of the gospel message, it was Mary Magdalene. He sent her as an apostle to the apostles. The word apostle means sent one. That's what Jesus did. He said, Mary, I am sending you To the disciples, and I need you to tell them this. And Mary Magdalene went and she was faithful to deliver the good news of the gospel message and the religious traditions that the Pharisees had tried to use to control people. Jesus went right against that. The societal norms that did not value women, Jesus went right against that. The family pedigree that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had, Jesus went right against that. And he used this unlikely woman to be a witness. Please do not miss that. Because for many of you, you can identify with that. You don't have the family name. You don't have the best background in the world. It's a little sketchy if you're honest. You hadn't been in church your whole life. You didn't grow up in church. You see people like me or other folks and you think, well, it's cool God uses them. I'm not really sure he could ever use me. And and, and when you begin to think that way, here's what you're doing. You're subscribing to religious traditions, societal norms, or family pedigree. And Jesus doesn't have anything to do with that. And we see that so clearly through Mary Magdalene. But do you know what else we see? It's what he tells her to tell the disciples. So good. See, these guys were in hiding. These guys had abandoned Jesus at his greatest time of need. And I don't know if you caught it in the passage we read, but when Jesus told Mary Magdalene to go to them, he asked her to address them as his brothers. Not as his disciples, not as his followers, but as his brothers guys who had abandoned him, guys who were in many ways at their worst. And Jesus is still calling them his brothers. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Pastor Charles Spurgeon who pastored in the 1800s in London. It's so good. The sweetest promises in the Bible are for the people who deserve them the least. That day, Jesus's disciples did not deserve to be called his brothers and yet jesus sent this unlikely witness to them to say you're my brothers see some of you here today if i can just for a minute easter is just something you kind of do once a year you just kind of go through the motions You may have actually been drugged to church this morning. You've done great. You've behaved the whole time. Thank you. We're so proud of you, okay? You've done really well. And the master's is on. You skipped that too. Some of y'all watch it on your phone. Go ahead and cut that off, right? Just give me a second, okay? I get it. You live in the South. It's Easter. You got something in the crock pot? Ready to eat when you get home, okay? I get it. I get all of it. But the reason why you're just going through the motions is because deep down inside somewhere, you've disqualified yourself. You've reached the conclusion that this isn't for you. That if everybody knew what you had done in your past, or knew just the trail of relationships that have been broken in your wake, or the sin that you're currently engaging in right now, And that we would all understand why this isn't for you. And so you just go through Easter one more year. And might I suggest this morning that the good news of the gospel message is that Jesus says to you, you're my brother. He says to you, you're my sister. He says to you, you, you don't have to clean up your act to come to me. That's why I went to the cross for you. And there's nothing you could ever do to disqualify yourself from receiving this free gift of salvation. And that the sweetest promises in the Bible are for the people who deserve them the least. And that is you. You deserve it the least. And that is the good news of the gospel message. That is God's grace. Is that all of us deserve it the least. And God did not let that get in the way of coming after you. Would you bow your head with me this morning? If that's you today, please don't let one more Easter go by with it just being something you do. Could this year be different? Could this be the year Where the good news of the gospel message moves from the pages of scripture and takes root in your heart? Where you move from death to life? Where you recognize that anything you thought you've done up until this point that would disqualify you from God's love is the very reason why God loves you. Because he loves the unlovely. He qualifies the unqualified. He saves the sinner. So if that's you today, can I just ask you where you're seated the best way you know how? It's not the words you say, it's the condition of your heart. Did you say, Jesus, I give up. I give up. I'm not gonna run from you anymore. I admit I'm a sinner. But I see now that you paid the price for my sin. And up until this point, it was a story where you died on a cross for the sins of the world. But in this moment, I'm recognizing that it was my sin that put you on the cross. And I want to thank you for your sacrifice. And I believe you walked out of the tomb. I believe you're alive, that you offer me eternal life. And I want to receive that free gift of eternal life by asking you to come into my life and save me. Lord, from this day forward, I want my life to be different. I want to be a trophy of your grace. I want to declare your goodness as someone who's been saved by your amazing grace. if you just prayed that the lights are down it's just me and matt up here on the stage but i'd love to pray for you this week would you be so bold as to slip your hand up a little bit just so i can see it just be praying for you this week thank you thank you See, it doesn't matter if you came to faith when you were a child. It doesn't matter if you're the chief of sinners. It doesn't matter if you're someone like Billy Graham. All of us are saved by God's grace. All of us are unlikely witnesses. All of us have been made perfect in Christ. And so we're gonna worship him this morning. Declaring that to be true. And so God, thank you. What else can we say? But thank you for coming after us. For not leaving us dead in our sins. But for making us alive in Christ. Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness to the cross. Jesus, thank you for defeating death. Thank you for offering us eternal life that we don't deserve. Thank you for a promised home in heaven. Thank you for purpose here on this earth. Thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ so we're not walking through this thing called life alone. Lord, just thank you. Thank you for saving us. Through your amazing grace. And we pray all of these things in the only name that saves, the name of Jesus. Amen.